You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, everybody, and thanks for downloading our show today. Happy Holy Week. As we begin this holiest of weeks, I hope that you and your family are well and that you're finding some time to spend together during this time of social distancing. It's going to be a very different Holy Week than any of us have ever experienced before. And I know that all of us are missing this time of experiencing the Mass and the Eucharist in preparation for Easter. This is probably the longest Lent of our lives. Just remember that God is always present. And I think that even during times like this, he's trying to speak to our hearts and teach us something about ourselves. I hope that you make some time this week to really listen to what he's trying to tell you. I'll be praying for you this week. Before we go to our show, I also want to remind you about our weekly philanthropic series called Forging Forward. We've had some tremendous nonprofit experts talking about the economy, messaging to donors, and the best ways to manage through this crisis. Even though they all come from a variety of different organizations, there are some universal truths and lessons that we can all take from these sessions, and I know that they'll prove helpful to you, so I hope you'll join us. Once again, I'll put a link up in the show notes so that you can sign up for this free series. I hope you'll join us. Now, let's get to work. In the spirit of Holy Week, today's show is focused on the Church's service to the vulnerable, the marginalized, and those who are in need. And we visit three individuals who are making a huge impact. First, we'll talk with Sister Donna Markham, the CEO of Catholic Charities USA, Next, Deacon Tom Roberts, the President and CEO of Catholic Charities in Southern Nevada. And finally, Michael Grace, the President and CEO of Catholic Charities in Fort Worth, Texas. First, let's talk with Sister Donna Markham, who has been the CEO of Catholic Charities USA for the past five years, and she's the first female to lead the organization during its 105-year history. Sister will give us the landscape of what she's seen around the country. And so, without further ado, here is our conversation. Sister Donna, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad to have you with us today. Thank you. It's wonderful to be able to see you and be with you today. So, Sister, uh, obviously, uh, Catholic Charities is playing a significant role in the COVID-19 crisis, and um, I've had the opportunity to speak with a couple of your member agencies and hear about what's happening on the ground. But uh, I'm curious, from uh, your position uh, as the CEO, what are some of the trends that you're seeing kind of nationally of, of some of the needs that are bubbling up from the different agencies around the country? Sure. Well, we've uh, actually this afternoon, we're going to be having a meeting with our, all of our diocesan directors across the U.S. We certainly know from our communications with many of them in the past uh, days and weeks that there are significant challenges that they're facing in the field. Of course, you know, we have about 58,000 people that work for Catholic Charities as employees and another quarter million or so who are volunteers. They are serving some of the uh, most vulnerable people in our country. Right now, they're doing that without any kind of protective equipment. They're in the streets, they're on the streets, they're in the shelters, they're in the uh, soup kitchens and the places where meals are being prepared or food distributed. And my sleepless nights are often preoccupied by knowing that these extraordinarily dedicated people are out there 
at considerable risk uh, to themselves and then vicariously to their families. So that's a big challenge. We also are facing significant shortages in, in our food pantries because as people, more and more people become unemployed and unable to get basic necessities, they're flooding our kitchens. So uh, that's been another uh, enormous challenge. We are really grateful that some of our friends in the community and across the country have jumped in to help us, one of those being the Church of Latter-day Saints that has offered to provide food to 75 of our food pantries for the Catholic Charities. Another wonderful partner, uh, people at Kraft Foods that are trying to help us with supplying the pantries with frozen goods. And then uh, we have some interesting partners. One of them is a company by the name of Guerrilla Marketing, and they're actually printing T-shirts with another company called Hit. And they're, these T-shirts say Safe Six, and they're reminding everybody to stay six feet away from each other. Nice. And uh, Yeah, and uh, it's really a delight to talk with them. And what they're doing is taking a portion of the proceeds of the sales of those Safe Six T-shirts and donating those to Catholic Charities to help us to provide um, uh, resources for our Catholic Charities agencies across the United States. So uh, some very creative, creative things that are happening from the goodness of lots of people. That's terrific, Sister. And, you know, um, so lots of opportunities there. One of the uh, working with uh, the Lutheran denomination just kind of reminds us that your work is so ecumenical in nature and, and does yes. certainly does not... Uh, you don't just serve Catholics, you serve everyone across the board, correct? We serve anybody, anybody who is hungry, anybody who is in need of anything, um, food, shelter, clothing, counseling, um, anyone is welcome at Catholic Charities. We don't, we don't uh, uh, ask a lot of questions, we just say, if you need help, we're here to help you. And we've been doing that for about 110 years we're proud of that. And I would imagine I was when I was talking with uh, a couple of your agency partners, some folks are finding themselves in this situation for the first time, right? They uh, they may not have been uh, one of your uh, clients in the past, but now because maybe both spouses are out of work, uh, this is certainly digging into the middle class and a lot of folks may yes. be finding themselves at a, at a food line or at a food pantry where they hadn't been there before, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, because under normal circumstances, Catholic Charities serves about 12 and a half million people a year. And those would be people that are extremely vulnerable. But you're right, because right now we have a lot of folks who have not been in the position of needing us for the basic survival issues, who now are there. Everything is related. So the Catholic Charities agencies, we depend largely on donations. And of course, with the um, crisis in the markets and the financial markets, our donations will be hit by that. And so our agencies will have more difficulty trying to procure basic necessities to help the people. So we're hoping that with the government uh, rescue package that many of our Catholic Charities agencies will be able to take advantage of those loans to small businesses. Unfortunately, in some of the hardest hit areas right now in the country, like New York City, across the whole state of New York, that's a huge Catholic Charities agency that has more than 500 employees. 
So they are not eligible. So we have 14 large Catholic Charities agencies located in some of the hottest COVID virus spots who are not eligible for any assistance in that package. So that's another cause of concern. We're hoping that as the rules are uh, finalized and um, and more assistance uh, may be available, that that will help those agencies. Because ironically, they're the ones most in need. Uh, They have an awful lot of people working for them, and their resources are being depleted very rapidly. I can only imagine. So a place like New York, we've all seen them on the news. And what are you seeing on the ground there? Are you seeing it? I'm sure you're seeing a lot of folks being innovative in their approaches. Uh, Any other ways in which you see people being creative in ways that they hadn't been before? I think what we're seeing is that the agency's workers are trying to do their very best to be present to the people all the time trying to keep the people safe, keep themselves safe, and keep their families safe. So we have a place on our listserv where agency directors share their solutions to some of the most critical issues that are facing them, how they're distributing food safely, how they're trying to handle their shelters. The uh, homeless shelters are very dangerous uh, places right now, and trying to keep everybody secure and safe is a big challenge. So we're pretty much in the using all of our skills and disaster operations uh, for this uh, enormous national disaster. Not a hurricane or a flood or a tornado, but this is the same thing on steroids. So we're trying to use everything we've learned about disaster operations to and apply that to what we're dealing with right now as best we can. I'm sure you are. I know that Catholic Charities has been very committed to finding affordable housing for folks. How do you think that this crisis is going to impact that your mission there? Yeah, uh, we have we currently operate about thirty five thousand units of of affordable housing, but we have um, we've been um, trying to amplify that initiative and especially look at the people who are who have been chronically homeless, and so. That is uh, that project is underway. Uh, we're not going to stop it for sure, but of course, given the circumstances, all the timelines are going to be uh, basically shot. <laughs> so we're going to do the best we can to uh, re-up the situation um, and re-up the project. Um, we're moving along well with that in our five pilot cities, um, but. Um, uh, that is for chronically homeless people. And then we're looking at, we're continuing to engage in the construction of affordable housing for a lot of people in, uh, in across the country, not just those pilot cities. But everything will be slowed down. Um, and uh, we, like everyone else, will be affected by it. But we're not, that doesn't mean we're going to stop it. Sister, if uh, if somebody is a parishioner uh, at home and, and living in a diocese and wanted to get involved, how are you seeing parishioners kind of get more involved with their local agencies uh, around the country? I would imagine that uh, people are at this time are, are reaching out more than ever. Well, I think people are a bit uh, afraid to get involved uh, mm-hmm. physically because sure. of the situation. But I think that um, certainly the, the best thing that a person could do in, at the parish level would be to make contact with their local Catholic Charities Agency and then uh, find out from them where they need help. They might be able to assist in something as simple as making sandwiches uh, to be distributed. 
there wouldn't necessarily need to be face-to-face -face contact with that. It can be handled a little bit more uh, easily. But the agencies themselves in each of the cities would be the best prepared because of the variability and what's needed in every locale right now. So I, I'd say contact them uh, and uh, see what you can do. I think they always have need. They certainly are going to have need for donations uh, of um, cash, too, to help them to purchase supplies if we can find the supplies, um, sure. even food, because even trying to find food right now is, is difficult in some areas of the country. That's the best I think I could, could say. Normally, we'd be thrilled to have people sure. helping in the shelters and in the serving areas. But right now, I think best to call them and find out. And how about some of your larger partners nationally, like food banks and other places? How, you, you mentioned that the shortage of supplies. How is that impacting your ministry? We have partnerships with Second Harvest and a lot of those uh, food service providers, and they relate directly with our Catholic Charities agencies across the country. So we, uh, we keep in national contact, but they also are involved with us locally and have been a tremendous source of help, too. No one charity can manage this thing. We're all connected to each other. Uh, right now to do what we can. Another, a big area that, that some of the agencies may have a real need for would be people who might be able to offer uh, translation uh, services and uh, to help some of our caseworkers who may not be equipped to handle uh, speaking in Spanish or other languages in their areas. So there, there are a lot of ways that people can help. We're doing a lot right now with, as you can imagine, mental health issues, mm -hmm. behavioral health issues, because people are, many are stuck in their homes. A lot of people are having a lot of anxiety and depression. So we're working with telehealth and HIPAA compliant processes so that our case workers, our social workers can actually continue to do counseling services via face-to-face uh, -face internet ways of, of talking with clients. But again, there may be need for translation services in some areas uh, in a variety of different ways. So we'll see. We'll see where that goes. But we're just saying to people, if you need help, please call Catholic Charities. Uh, we'll do our best and call the one in your area. Many people have called our national office. We've got a way to be able to connect them to a local agency if they can't find it in their own uh, area. Uh, so we're plugging people into the right site across the country. <laughs> Sounds like you're doing everything you can using technology, using partnerships, using philanthropy, uh, all the tools at your disposal. And I'm sure at this juncture, it's certainly you probably look back and think how, how tremendously blessed you are to have that kind of network and support. Absolutely. For one another, right? Absolutely. And the one thing that I, I would certainly say to people who are listening is that we really count on people's prayers right now because this is an overwhelming uh, situation for all of us and for us to be united in a community of faith, uh, regardless of your religious tradition or anything, just to really know that we call on God's help uh, to sustain us in this very difficult time. And certainly on behalf of all the people at Catholic Charities, I'm so grateful for that support. Well, thank you, Sister, for taking a few minutes of your time today. I know how busy you are trying to manage this all from the national front and being a resource to so many. Especially from my living room. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm so glad we were able to connect. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, blessings on you. And thanks a million for contacting me. Okay. Absolutely. Take care. God All bless. Right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again, sister. It was a real honor to meet you, and we're so grateful to you for all you're doing to provide service to these agencies around the country. Next, let's take a trip out west, where I'll be talking with Deacon Tom Roberts, the president and CEO of Catholic Charities in Southern Nevada. I had a great Skype call with Deacon Tom, who will tell us about what he's seen in Southern Nevada and how he got recruited from corporate America to lead this important charitable arm of the Diocese of Las Vegas. Here's Deacon Tom. Well, Deacon Tom, welcome to the podcast. It's so glad to have you here today. Thank you for uh, speaking with me and for allowing us to tell you a little bit about what's happening here in Southern Nevada. Well, uh, first, why don't we start with a little bit about, uh, tell us about uh, the diocese in which you serve in, maybe a little bit about the geographical location, uh, so the folks that are not familiar with Southern Nevada could understand where you're located. So, um, back in 1995, the Diocese of Las Vegas was born uh, not very long ago. Um, For the first decades of the diocese, it was a combination of Reno in the north and Las Vegas in the south. And then as Las Vegas continued to grow and prosper, uh, the church created the Diocese of Las Vegas. Um, We are now about 750,000 Roman Catholics in the Southern Nevada market. So it continues to be a growing diocese, a relatively young diocese in the cycle of the church uh, calendar. 25 or 30 years old is is, is pretty young. We have been focused a lot in Southern Nevada over the years of growing our capacity for services. Certainly at Catholic Charities, uh, that has been the case. The agency has continued to grow because the needs have continued to grow for the vulnerable and the seniors and the homebound, as well as the homeless. So the diocese, unlike other markets that may have churches and resources closing, the Diocese of Las Vegas continues to grow to meet the needs of the populations that we serve. Beautiful. And and tell me a little bit about your own background. Have you always been in social work? No. So as uh, as I would always like to say, God has a big sense of humor. <laughs> By having me at Catholic Charities, I spent 25 years as an executive in the hotel casino industry, uh, building and developing hotel casinos around the country and running them. I was uh, asked to consider becoming an a permanent deacon back in 2005. And so after my five years of formation, I was ordained a deacon in 2011, permanent deacon. And a year after I was ordained, while I was continuing my work in the private sector, the CEO of Catholic Charities of Southern Nevada, who was a Roman Catholic Monsignor, died very unexpectedly and very tragically over a weekend, only in his early 60s. So our bishop at the time, because he ordained me, called me and said, Deacon, uh, we need your help. You're a business guy and you're a deacon. Can you help me? And I said, well, of course, Bishop. And so I showed up at Catholic Charities that Monday morning with Bishop Pepe. I'd never been here before. And we had the uh, indomitable task of telling the staff here that Monsignor Pat Leary, uh, who'd been here for 10 years, uh, died and he's not coming back. Wow. And what struck me about that is despite the tears and the paralyzation of emotions that the team felt, the agency never missed a beat. It struck me when I went home that night and I told my wife about my first day at Catholic Charities as a volunteer, how that stuck with me. And um, after a couple of months of volunteering, I took a leave of absence from my private sector career and continued to volunteer and working with the bishop and the board of trustees. 
And then um, on or about the middle of uh, 2013, the bishop and the board called me in. They said, well, Deacon, we've conducted a nationwide search for a, a successor, and we found the perfect person for the job. Would you take it? <laughs> and, uh, that was eight years ago. So uh, never uh, in a million years did I think, frankly, I would be worthy enough to be a deacon, and I sure never thought I'd be a Catholic charity. So as I like to say, I would have lost both bets uh, <laughs> of that situation. So I'm here in a very non-traditional way, perhaps bringing some of my business experience sure. and my relationships in Southern Nevada to the uh, to the service triangle. So um, it has been a wonderful, beautiful gift for me as a deacon to do this work and to lead a great team. It's a beautiful story. What do you think, what was one of the things that... Um I'm sure there was a lot that was unexpected when you make a big tra career transition like that. What, what, are, what are a couple of those things that, that stand out to you when you think about that transition from going to the, uh, the for-profit world to the nonprofit world, especially uh, the nonprofit church world, you know, and, and, and very specifically, obviously, social services, which is a very particular ministry, a very, um, very specific focus. What were some of the things that surprised you? Well, I guess the first thing, again, being frankly pretty ignorant about the church's uh, philanthropy, other than what we all typically see in our parishes with food drives and outreach. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't realize that the church across the country and around the world was such a large giver of, of support. I began to learn about the work that Catholic Charities does in 170 dioceses across the country. Um, as specific to Southern Nevada, um, I didn't realize what a big business it was. Um, our operating budget is north of $20 million a year. Uh, we have over 250 employees. We operate 16 programs and services. We serve about 4,000 people a day wow. in lots of different ways. So I guess I was a little surprised, not overwhelmed by that because I'm used to running big businesses, but I was surprised that the business of Catholic Charities, the business of dignity and compassion. And so I've been very focused here on, as the Pope would say, both and, uh, <laughs> providing both help and hope but also providing it efficiently and effectively. And as a business guy and as a donor to Catholic Charities, um, I'm proud that you know our overhead as an agency uh, only averages about 11%. So 89 cents of every dollar that we are getting with a public grant or a private donation is really working hard. And, and, and as, a, as a steward of that, I feel uh, it's important for me to be able to be responsible for being a good steward of what we're given or what we're granted. And so uh, this agency does run uh, efficiently and effectively. I'm surrounded by a talented, dedicated team, especially now in this uh, extraordinary circumstances that we all find ourselves in. Um, they have stepped up like so many have. And um, so those are just a few of the things that, uh, and again, because of my business background, hopefully I've been able to bring some additional um, structure, maybe some additional block and tackle business uh, approaches while continuing as a deacon to be this gift of service to also making sure that that's all wrapped in this bow of dignity and compassion for some of God's most vulnerable children. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So we're in this COVID-19 crisis and all of our lives have changed, especially over the past week, week and a half. Tell us what you're seeing out there, Deacon Tom. Well, like so many, this virus has been uh, attacking not only what I would call people that are naturally vulnerable, the seniors and other people that have uh, freestanding conditions, but the homeless population and the indigent populations 
certainly here in Southern Nevada, and I would say probably around the nation, are highly probable to additional infection because they are naturally uh, physically fragile. They're living on the street. They're not getting health care. They're not being able to shelter in place like most of us can when we're not at work, if, we're, if we are at work. And they just don't have access to the resources to keep them healthy. So we've seen an increase in the demand for our, our core services like food. We serve a free meal every day at 10 o'clock in the morning to seven or 800 people in this valley, men and women and children and families and veterans and anyone who needs it. And that's been a staple here. Normally they come into a dining room and they sit down and they're either served a meal or go through a buffet line. Obviously, we've had to pivot that program to now pass food out into go containers at the perimeter of the building to make sure that we are practicing social distancing and making sure that the product that we're preparing and the product that we're serving is being done safely. Um, our numbers are going up. Uh, the reason, even though your listeners can't see, I'm dressed in a polo shirt today uh, because I was on the food line this morning helping to package those meals um, 2,200 Nevada seniors get food from Catholic Charities. Um, we haven't missed a beat, thank God, in being able to serve those folks. Um, our drivers are stepping up to try to deliver more meals than they normally do. Our program is unique in that seven meals at a time go out in frozen packages. So drivers historically would take the meals that are prepared fresh in our kitchen and then are chill blasted to bring the temperature down and the contain the quality of the food and the taste, and then they're delivered seven at a time with uh, oranges, apples, and fresh milk. And normally the driver does a wellness check on that senior, because you may imagine that, sadly, that may be the only visit that they get. Um, those drivers are doing wellness checks. Right now we've, again, for safety, pivoted to where the driver is stopping at the door, ringing the bell, or calling a mobile number and saying, hey, your food is here, but we make sure the client picks it up or we see them. So we're doing things like that, like everybody is. We're improvising, but we're still operating. And thank God we are because the needs are greater than ever. I can only imagine. When you see folks come to the food line, I'm just curious, do you, do you have a sense of whether or not this might be the only meal that they have on a given day? Uh, or is this, um, is this in, in supplement to what they may have at home? Or what are your, do you have a sense of that? Uh, you know, I would say a, a, a large percent of the people that, that come into what we call the community meal, that's the free meal that we serve yeah. every 10 in the morning. I'd say the majority of them uh, are depending on this meal for their only food. Um, some other social service agencies in the market also provide some level of food support when they can. Um, we are the largest uh, social service agency in Southern Nevada in this particular um, field, this, this industry, I guess. Um, so there is sometimes other food available, but I'd say we are the staple for so many. Um, we have seen people that have normally come into our food pantry. We see over 100 families a day. In our normal food pantry, it's a client choice pantry set up like a little grocery store where people can come in and shop, which, again, the dignity and compassion of that is, is as priceless as the food. Sure. We've had to suspend that, again, because of safety reasons, and we are now distributing boxes and bags of food. Um, our numbers are going up, and I will tell you that we're getting 30 to 40 new enrollments a day. Wow. And I'd say half of those folks that are coming are self-identifying is being laid off in the resort industry, the hotel, casino, food and beverage. So like every community, uh, we are already seeing the impact of the uh, 
the virus implications with respect to business and the fact that people that are on the lowest end of the economic totem pole are beginning to suffer the most. Um, as far as uh, as donations, I, I'm sure that financial donations are obviously the easiest and the best way for folks to make an impact. But I'm sure that it sounds like you're going through a lot of food on a daily basis. Are you getting donations from different grocers around uh, other department stores? Uh, how is that working for you? You know, we have a wonderful collaboration with our local food bank. I've made it a point to really ensure that we are doing what we do very well, what I'll call our core competencies. I use the example that our food bank, as you can imagine, has hundreds of thousands of feet of storage space, and, and we have much less than that. So I like to say that the food banks like Costco, and we're like 7-Eleven when it comes to uh, pro- providing food and getting food. So what we do is we use them as our primary source of recovery, of whether it's vegetables from the grocery stores that are near expiration or foodstuffs, and we have a wonderful relationship where that food is coming to us. So what that does is it reduced our food costs. Again, as a as a recovering uh, operator of a casino, uh, bringing my food costs down, right. but also ensuring that we're doing what we do well, which is prepare food and serve it. And Three Square, our food pantry, is doing what they do well because they're in the business of getting food. So to me, is this the supply chain of using the resources that are available, it's actually brought our food costs down over the last five years by about 30%. And that's allowing us to do more with less or at yes. least the same amount of product. So right now, again, the the, uh, the resort industry, the casino industry has been wonderfully generous to donate all of their product that they may have had in their freezers or coolers or delivered. Most of that's being diverted to the food bank. And then the food bank is diverting it to us. So right now, as of right now, as of today, uh, we have plenty of food, and at least for now, the forecast looks pretty good. If this extends as long as some people may think or it may extend, that may be an issue down the road. The the volume of donations that the bulk donations that they get may start to dwindle. But right now, food is uh, is plentiful per se. The distribution of the food and the ability for us to have staff to cook it because our staff, like everybody, is uh, in harm's way because they're still operating in a very challenging environment with with very minimal personal protective equipment because we know that's short of around the country. So right. staff are really the, the champions in being able to stay on these front lines um, and help. And so I want to continue to pay them. I want to continue to operate this business. So for now, people that can support us financially is really the best thing that uh, as a stewardship model of time, talents, and treasures, uh, I've asked people to pray for us, um, to keep us uh, in their mind, uh, share the compassion that they feel for us with each other, and if they can, support us financially. Absolutely. And just for our listeners, we'll make sure that we put a a link on our website uh, and onto the show notes for you to click over if you'd like to support Deacon Tom and Catholic Charities in Southern Nevada. Um, Tom, tell me a little bit about uh, how the parishes have been uh, interacting with you. I'm sure that a lot of the folks that you're, are referred to you come from the parish level. Uh, h- how was your interaction at that level with the parishes? Historically, obviously, it's been great. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I've been building that relationship sure. over the years. We have these mega parishes in Southern Nevada. Uh, the parish that I serve at as a deacon has 9,000 registered families. So um, over the years, the diocese has grown with these large parishes because 
they needed to be large in order to deal with the geography and the density of population. And so during this crisis, and like any parish, there's a percentage of people that come that have needs. And so we work closely with the parishes on all call, both inbound and outbound support. You know, parishes that are more affluent that can help us uh, will support us with food drives and diaper drives and cash drives. Um, I'll just give you a quick, beautiful example. Uh, I mentioned Meals on Wheels. Um, when I first came to Catholic Charities, I was on the truck delivering meals with the drivers because I wanted to see what it was like and I wanted to talk to clients. And so I you know, remember specifically going into a home and a woman answered the door and, and I went in to say hello. We brought the food and she had a little dog there. And I said, oh, gosh, your, your dog is so sweet. And I said, I have to ask you, ma'am, I, I see that you were just eating one of our meals. I saw the container that the food comes in on the ground. Didn't you like it? And she said, Deacon, I'm sharing my food with my pet. <laughs> For my family, yeah. heartbreaking. I walked out of that home in tears. Yeah. And so um, we are now accepting donations for pet food oh. so that clients don't have to make that terrible decision that probably a lot of us would make because I know my little dog who's 16 years old and 13 pounds, she, she runs the house. <laughs> so um, I, I think we would all do that. But those pets for those seniors are especially blessed because – they're their companions. So our local parish of St. Francis of Assisi uh, has taken the, the moniker of doing pet food drives for us. I love it. Which is a beautiful way to show, the again, the creativity and the gift of the patron saint in getting us um, pet food. So, uh, yes, parishes have been wonderful. They are obviously are struggling, as we all know, uh, across the country because they're shut down. And they have very little way to get financial support except whatever they can do electronically. You know, we're mindful that the pair support that we would normally get is going to be diminished. Unfortunately, our general donations are trending down about 40 percent, which is understandable given the financial crisis that we're under. Uh, I certainly understand that. But we are in an inversion situation where we're seeing an increase in demand for resources and a decreasing uh, revenue resource. So. Like everybody, we're trying to do the best we can with what we can to continue to, to operate and be sustainable. I'm sure you are. What are the are there any other services that you're able, able to provide? Are there any other needs that you're seeing right now as, as a result of this uh, crisis? We are the Office of Refugee Resettlement mm. for the state of Nevada. Um, we continue to operate that program. Uh, we have uh, relocated our case managers to be home, uh, to work from home, but they're continuing their work with case management. Uh, we have about 700 um, refugees that are here now that have arrived here over the last few years. Can you imagine how challenging it must be for a refugee from a place like uh, the south of Congo that in the, dropped in the middle of this uh, crisis, already coming to a new country, trying to manage their way through this new country, and suddenly they have this, this enormity of this crisis. So our case managers are continuing to provide resources telephonically through FaceTime. Our adoptions program is still operating. That was our very first program in 1941, adoptions. And uh, uh, we are doing some teleconferencing with uh, uh, families that are interested in adopting. We continue to work with the hospitals and, and birth moms. Uh, so really, almost all of our programs and services are still operating uh, with, the, with the twist of uh, using phones and the gift of technology, I guess, uh, is helping us. Um, again, our shelter right now is temporarily closed because we had a, 
a test positive for a, a client for COVID-19. So we have to test all the team members. We have to sanitize the shelter um, and make sure that we have the equipment upstairs. Our shelter's on a second floor. Uh, we hope to have that done in a couple of days so we can you know, reopen the shelter. We work with the city and our county governments to, to pivot on these kinds of situations. But uh, we're up and running. We're just uh, doing what everyone else is doing. We're, I would say necessity breeds talent. Yeah. So we're on the best we can to continue to do what we can because our clients, again, are so thankful. Uh, I can't tell you the food line this morning. Uh, clients are always thankful. But like, like us all, it can be easy to walk up and just have a bad day or take it for granted. They are so grateful because they realize that without our food, they may not have another meal. So uh, I think this the compassion of the humanity that we are all living together in the um, perhaps the uh, the the distance that we're seeing is also uh, uniting us in some ways by pulling us together in unique ways. So um, we're continuing to do the best we can and help as many as we can. Beautiful. So, uh, Deacon Tom, any, any closing thoughts? Uh, I, we've talked a little bit about how folks can get involved, how folks can participate. Um, any closing thoughts on today? You know, I, I, um, I continue to be very humbled uh, by the outreach of our community. Um, again, this is my home. I've raised my children here. Uh, this community, as we went through the tragedy of October 1, the shooting that left 58 people tragically killed and hundreds uh uh, mortally wounded or physically wounded. I was actually the vice chairman of the Las Vegas Victims Fund. So we helped to distribute about $32 million to those victims. And so I got a chance to see firsthand at that time, a couple of years ago, how this community has pulled together. And as we like to say, we are Vegas stronger. Uh, we're doing that again. Yeah. And thank God our community continues to be um, grateful for what we're doing. And, and I'm sure that your listeners across the country are seeing that as well. And I've just encouraged people to say, you know, you may not be able to volunteer right now because it's not safe or you may not be able to help financially, but hopefully we can take the, the uh, equilibrium of humanity that we are all suffering at every demography and every social class and say uh, the kindness and compassion that we can share with each other, whether it's over the phone now or maybe a wave uh, is 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 important as ever, and maybe that is the silver linings in the in this tor- terrible cloud is that we all realize that we have all long, I think, for social uh, connection now that maybe we took for granted or sometimes we thought was a nuisance. <laughs> uh, perhaps there's some level of uh, of a sunlight through the Holy Spirit uh, that can give us the gift of, uh, of appreciation now more than ever for the for the gifts that we all share and for the majority of us, the, the blessings that we have. I couldn't agree more. You know, you, you see uh, so many folks being creative, as you're saying. Necessity breeds creativity as well. And I think, um, I think we're going to come out as a stronger church because of this, because it, it forces us into new realms, into social media, into using platforms like this we're using today is Skype with you. And um, I do think... And communities, parish communities, are finding ways to, to use those tools to bring themselves together. And it also, you know, you think about the season of Lent that we're in, uh, it only maybe intensify, intensifies that hunger that we all have for the Eucharist, for being community, for being church together. Uh, and clearly you're doing that there in the front lines of Catholic Charities. Well, I, uh, again, I, I agree with you completely. I know that uh, 
as I continue to talk to clients and staff that are Catholic that long to get back to the Eucharist. Again, maybe for, and me included, uh, I won't take that for granted again, or I'll try not to, yeah. for the, uh, the ability I have to, to be a part of a, of a Eucharistic celebration at the table. I continue to try to feed myself with the Word mm-hmm. and feed others with the Word. And, um, and, and I pray every day. Uh, I ask Blessed Mary as our, uh, one of our great intercessors to continue to watch over uh, the people that we serve, the people that are doing the work, and, and really all of us that are really looking to continue to do the best we can and to be compassionate to each other. And my prayer for your uh, listeners, and I will this evening remember all of your listeners and you and your family, and my prayers for Thanksgiving for peace and health and safety. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. God bless you and your ministry. Thank you so much for being on the show today. God bless you too, and thank you. It was a real pleasure to meet Deacon Tom, and boy, what a special vocation it is to be called out of the business world to lead such an important nonprofit. I've heard that story many times from many different individuals who have been called out of the corporate life and uh, felt a a need to to do something different with the second half of, of their career. My final guest today has a similar story. Michael Grace is the president and CEO of Catholic Charities in Fort Worth, Texas, and he'll also share what he's seen on the front lines in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and a little bit about his own recruitment story. Here's Michael Grace. Well, Michael, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad to have you here today. Thank well, thank you for having me, Jim. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so, Michael, I know that you're uh, you're relatively new to your position. Uh, well, within the last year or so, as the uh, CEO and president of Catholic Charities in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, and I understand that you come from a, a slightly different background, from the business background. Tell us a little bit, a, a little bit about your first year. Well, it's been a, a big adjustment. It's been a big change from a career experience standpoint. I come from a very entrepreneurial uh, kind of background, um, a lot of experience in oil and gas and, and uh, a variety of other industries as well. A lot of private equity-oriented type transactions and you know, raising capital from private equity entities, family offices, and so forth, and other entrepreneurial endeavors, looking for opportunities, and and, and uh, you know, nothing very similar to what I'm doing now, uh, to be honest with you. But um, but there are, you know, with any business, uh, e- even nonprofits, I think, you know, one of the biggest things I've learned is we are indeed a business, and uh, there's a definite business aspect to to who we are, and especially an agency our size. So there's definitely some transferable skills and experience for sure. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. I've met many business leaders over the years who have made that transition from for-profit to nonprofit, and uh, it it absolutely helps all the leadership and financial pieces that you bring, uh, I'm sure just tremendous help to you. Can I ask uh, what what drew you into working for the Catholic Church? You know, I uh, went through one of those faith reawakening (laughs) moments uh, (laughs) several years ago, probably about eight years ago now, like so many people do, especially people you know, older who get a certain age when their kids are a certain age or whatever, just life experiences uh, for a variety of reasons. And that led me down a path of getting involved with um, a group called ACTS uh, in the Catholic Church. A- ACTS stands for Adoration, Community, Theology, and Service. This it was it, It's a movement, you know, that, that puts on retreats for men and, and then uh, separately for women. And it, it's just that. It's an opportunity for people to kind of reconnect with their faith and, and their, their selves and their journey. And it's, I've seen absolute miracles come out of that, that experience. People turn away from 
uh, addictions and abuse and things like that to uh, e even stories of people joining the priesthood, y younger people that go through it and join the priesthood. So it, I've seen miracles happen uh, through that program, and it, it definitely touched me, led me down a path of trying to figure out a way to bring my faith life and my professional life together. And I tried a couple of different things uh, prior to coming to Catholic Charities to that end and um, with, with mixed results. But this opportunity presented itself multiple times to me, and I ignored it a, the first few times I saw it. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized, I think this is what I'm being called to do. That's beautiful. That's wonderful, Michael. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm glad it's going so well. So, Michael, uh, you know, we're all in this uh, uh, closed up situation in our homes and uh, social distancing and the rest. I, we don't have to get into all those details because all of our, our listeners are experiencing it uh, firsthand. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're seeing there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area as far as some of the needs and, and how are you as a, as a social service agency addressing those? Yeah, the need is widespread, as you can imagine, where this has been the ultimate equalizer in our country. Every community is experiencing some of the same things, some more severe than others, but we're all in this one together. It's um, So there's a, some unique things coming out of it from that standpoint. You know, many of us in the nonprofit space are used to addressing disasters or things of that nature that are regional in nature or very specific to what kind of disaster it is and so on. This is very different. We're all in all of in the same boat and it's impacting all uh, avenues of addressing it and uh, supply chains and distribution chains and, and, and so forth. So it's, it's unique. It's its own situation. It's its own crisis for sure. And we're no different than any other company. I mean, we have employees, we have um, our own payroll issues, cash flow issues, uh, facility issues, all the same things that any other company has, as well as serving those clients that we, we currently have been working with uh, and, and the incremental clients that are going to come to us for help uh, as time drags on here. So um, it's, we're in a unique position. We're, what we're seeing is a tremendous amount of financial need. Several folks are losing their jobs uh, for a variety of reasons, or they have a spouse or partner that's losing their jobs. Um, so, uh, and they've got you know, kids at home. You know, this, again, the same thing that all, every community is seeing and so the financial needs are probably the biggest immediate needs. The, the other thing is, as it relates to the part of the community that serves the food insecurity issues, uh, food distribution, food banks and pantries and so forth, they're really struggling uh, getting food distributed, getting donations in because of the social distancing requirements and so forth. They're, they're, they've got some uh, extra uh, issues to deal with, and we're doing what we can to help with that. We, we're fortunate to have a a, a vehicle uh, a transportation capability. So we're stepping in to help where we can to distribute uh, food to different church pantries and, and otherwise. Uh, so there, there's those needs, the, those applications. You know, from a health standpoint, we don't currently have any, well, we have a dental clinic, I should say, it would, that we had to just close down. And that was partly because of the, some of the mandate from the state, but uh, also we were running out of supplies and, you know, to include masks and just the, ba the basic thing and uh, those basic supplies that you take for granted uh, in the good times. And so, uh, and, and our next delivery was going to be a couple of months out uh, for, for those. So we're not as critical. It was easy to shut down our dental clinic uh, compared to an ER or what the hospitals are dealing with and, you know, things like that. So that, you know, that, that was an easy decision. But, you know, again, the needs are primarily financial. There's, um, there's other groups that are addressing some of the, the, 
the psychological impact that, you know, the counseling needs that are popping up, um, you know, food insecurity uh, and things of that nature are just what we're all experiencing and trying to address. Sure. So you mentioned that uh, you're blessed to have some transportation vehicles to help get food to different locations, different different needs. Are there any other ways in which you're able to function right now as, as an agency in this current situation? You know, this is another area where we're re- really fortunate as an organization. We we have about 320 employees. We have a variety of, of technological capabilities at, at any given day. During, during normal times, we use technology a, a fair amount. And, and we had made some investments in our internal technology and capabilities, broadband, broadband capabilities, uh, communicate, you know, MS Teams, for instance, you know, things like that. This event has just required us to really tap into those exponentially. And the good news is it's working very well, uh, surprisingly well. We've, we've been, I was having that conversation with my leadership team this morning. I've really been impressed by the way people have come together and continue to operate from home using our video conferencing capabilities, uh, conference call capabilities, and, and other channels that we've had in place or have just recently created to keep the communication channels open. And it, it's it's really, it, it's been working well. So I, I guess it's just a, a call out, if you will, to, you know, when, when times are good and the dust settles, to so start looking at your operations and uh, figure out, you know, should something like this happen again? And it just might. Then, you know, how would you function remotely uh, so you don't have to create processes on the fly or uh, change policies on the fly or, or what have you. We've been fortunate to not have to create any new processes to accommodate what's going on. You know, so far it's, uh, like I said, it's working quite well. We have very few people going physically into the office. I'll occasionally go by, but, uh, but for the, you know, there's still mail being delivered. There's still, you know, certain functions uh, that need to be addressed, but uh, for the most part, there's still checks that need to be written and, <laughs> and received and things of that nature. So occasionally somebody will go in but so far, working remotely is, is actually, in our case, working very, very well. That's great. Michael, are you seeing a lot bubble up from the parishes? I'm sure that in the past or as part of normal business operations, you get referrals from parishes and different needs. Uh, how are they responding to the crisis from your perspective? Our particular diocese is 28 counties. Um, so we have the Fort Worth area. Dallas is its own diocese, and it's it's separate. So uh, we're on the Fort Worth side and going north to the border of Oklahoma and south, um, you know, a couple of counties and and pretty far west. So 28 county region and roughly 90 parishes in those 28 counties. And so there's a wide variety of uh, responses and needs and so forth. And so those th- there's a handful of them that we're helping. I mean, you know, I mentioned using our vehicles for food distribution. There's a handful of them that we're helping with their food pantries and getting food to them and uh, delivered from from those pantries. Um, you know, and, and some have had a, a stronger, um, I guess, a more formulated um, response capability or, or a ministry capability. Um, and, and they seem to be doing OK uh, so far. Um, and but we're not seeing a, a, an influx of people coming directly from the parishes, per se, uh, we've already, you know, as a part of normal business, we've had a, a method of working with the parishes to get referrals, you know, again, as part of normal business. And, you know, we are seeing an uptick of that, but it's, but, but those channels were already in place and, and that those processes were already in place. So again, we're not needing to create anything new, uh, to address their needs. Sure. Sure. How about, uh, how about from your supporters? Are you hearing from your supporters during this time? And, uh, 
and how uh, is has there been a has there been any, any outreach to them as far as from uh, getting them involved financially, getting them involved volunteer wise, or, or what do you, what are you experiencing? It's uh, the the community here, the the funder community, the foundations, the those that you know we'd normally go to grants for the county, the city. Uh, the, the, their response has been absolutely amazing. It's it's just absolutely unprecedented. They have pulled together um, and shown so much support. We are, you know, I know this is an overused term, but we are absolutely humbled by the response from the funder community. You know, again, both from the foundation standpoint, the family offices, the uh, the county and city, and then our normal donor are just you know the, those that are our friends you know normally and that uh, that that would donate to our causes. You know, they've stepped up. They've offered to they've responded to our specific ask that we've had. We've had a couple of camp specific campaigns you know recently running. They've responded to that. Some have reached out to us proactively. We've been reaching out to as many people as we can proactively. So. Again, just the response and the collaboration has been absolutely amazing. That's beautiful. Wonderful to hear. Um, any any other thoughts, Michael? Anything else uh, from the Dallas-Fort Worth area you want to share? Anything you're seeing uh, in your interactions with uh, with folks today? You know, I, I, I tell folks all the time, we are going to get through this. There, there is an end time for this. I, we don't know what that is. is. Is it months? Is it weeks? We, we don't know for sure, but it, but it is going to end. And so... It, we have to be just really careful not to overreact as organizations to this and lay people off and, and you know, things of that nature, um, only to have to recreate all those capabilities once the dust settles. So, you know, there's very encouraging things coming from this stimulus package that was just passed uh, yesterday and I think some additional work today and um, that, that will help businesses and, and folks like us as well to keep people employed uh, and be able to recoup that money later uh, through their loans, forgivable loans, things like that. But there's just a lot of capability, and I would just encourage everybody to, uh, you know, continue to pay, you find ways to finance keeping people employed, um, keeping them busy where you can, and uh, and, and know that we're going to look back on this and, and learn from it, and then um, uh, respond even better uh, the next time. But I think we've responded to this pretty well. Absolutely. Not just us, but, but a lot of a lot of our community partners. The community at, at large has has uh, responded very very well. Who are some of the other uh, partners that you work with there in the area? You know, other nonprofits, United Way, uh, different uh, Tarrant County Area Food Bank, the Homeless Coalition, uh, veterans groups, uh, groups that deal with uh, you know Meals on Wheels, for instance, uh, groups that deal with the, the elderly, uh, child care associates, groups that deal with. Um, the you know childcare needs for especially emergency oriented individuals like healthcare professionals or um, you know police and fire department uh, personnel, just seeing all these people come together and just find a way. It's a, a tagline I, I I use internally. You know we just find a way. If we're not currently doing it, find a way to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if if we need to respond to something, let's find a way to respond to it. It's a great attitude to have. Well, Michael, thanks for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Good luck with all uh, you have in front of you in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And thanks for all you're doing to support, uh, I'm sure, not only the uh, the faithful, the diocese, but those who are not Catholic and come to seek your assistance anyway. Absolutely. And, and, and great point. I'm glad you mentioned that. We, we, only, we do not only serve the Catholic community. We are uh, the entire community. So you do not have to be Catholic to uh, receive our services or even work for us. So uh, we're here for everybody. Thank you so much. Take care and God bless. God bless. Thank you.
I want to thank Sister Donna Markham, Deacon Tom Roberts, and Michael Grace for being on our show today. I will leave a link to each one of their websites if you'd like to learn more about what they are doing and what their needs are. They certainly remind us of our call to holiness and mission during this Holy Week. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for their support of our show. If you'd like to leave a comment about today's show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com and click on Leave a Voicemail. I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it from me, everybody. Have a great Holy Week. Thank you for all you do to advance the mission of our church. Take care, and God bless. God bless.